Second Corinthians chapter five, verses 11 through 17. The integrity of ministry. This is vital to us who are saved. Let's pray and begin in verse 11. Father, before your throne we come, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, each of us that is here this day, may we be overwhelmed by your presence. May we be overwhelmed by your power. And may our lives exalt the King of kings and Lord of lords. May the glory that rests upon our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be mimicked in our lives, reflected in our lives. And Father, as we look at your word this day, please, I beg you, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. And give us fertile hearts to the glory of the King, the power of your kingdom, and the overwhelming understanding of the privilege of being joint heirs with Christ. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 11, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also to your conscience. We are not, again, commending ourselves to you, but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, and old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. What we're looking at is basically the reason Paul is defending his integrity, right? And, and one of the things you have to be real careful about, Paul's not defending himself, but he's defending his integrity. Because if a false teacher can discredit a godly teacher's integrity then he can disavow any of the teaching of the true teacher. Brothers and sisters, I have seen this so much that it's astonishing. So what it tells me is it's an ongoing thing, because I didn't hang out with Paul. I'm I'm in this era. And when I look at it, because I I watch today, even in the secular, uh, it's... uh, All I have to do is make the accusation. There don't have to be any truth to it. Just make an accusation. And you can make it about anything. Some of you have heard the statement that a lie will be around the world before truth gets its shoes on. And, 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 And that's the truth of the matter. It is of the utmost importance when it comes to ministry. Again, 2 Corinthians is dealing with ministry. If you are saved, you are a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a ministry. And a foundational thing that you have to be aware of is your integrity. I know a number of people who do not minister because they have integrity problems. And I'm happy that they don't minister. All right? It's just that simple. All right? But... but, Once you step into it and you understand that your purpose here, right now, is solely to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, you've got to get a hold of that. All the rest of it is trivial. All the rest of it is nuisance. It has no eternalness to it. Serving of the Lord is the eternal thing. Once you get that focus, then understand 
the world will hate you. And they will assault you. And they will be personal about it. If they cannot find any open, blatant sin, if they can't find uh, any false doctrine or error in the teaching of doctrine, then they're coming after your integrity. And let me tell you something. They don't need evidence. And the Apostle Paul understood this. This church already dealt with division. It already had a pride issue. There are those who are of Paul. There are those who are of Apollos. There are those who are of Cephas. There are those who are of Christ. So that's a pride issue. They had a pride issue so bad, they were even perverting spiritual gifts. So the division and the schisms were already there. Now then, if I can take and discredit the founder of the church, then I can blow the whole thing up. And you will have a flock without a shepherd. And at that point in time, it looks just like the world. It's divisive. It has no power. It has no ability to evangelize. It has no ability to spiritually grow. And guess what? Satan has stopped it. It is just that simple. It's the easiest way to do it. Why? If I can attack the leadership and discredit their integrity... I win. I win. His defense comes in these six points you see in your outline. First one there is in verse 11. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Okay? That fear of the Lord is the awe or the reverence of God. And then I am trying to sway you. Okay? Because, see, he says there, but we have made manifest to God. God understands what's going on. God views it. God understands it. Okay? And I hope that we are made manifest also in what? Your conscience. Okay, conscience is going to be waste on, be used on what it knows. All right, so he's saying, the reason that I'm trying to persuade you, the reason I'm trying to sway you, the reason I'm trying to bring you back is that your conscience knows and we have been made manifest to your conscience. Just as we have been made manifest to God... We want to be made manifest to you. I want to reassure you is what Paul is saying. Why? It is for the Lord. It is for the Lord. And that's what you see there. Why? Because of my awe for who he is, I am trying to persuade you to remember my integrity. Okay? Second thing we looked at. It's for the church. Verse 12. We are not commending ourselves to you, but we are given occasion for you to be what? Proud of us. Okay, he's taking the people, the true saved people in Corinth, and he says, it's not that I'm trying to defend myself. It's not I'm worried about my ego or, or anything like that. I'm trying to get you to understand my integrity because do you not for, do not forget that I lived with you for 18 months. I walked with you for 18 months. I talked to you day in and day out for 18 months. What did I hide? What could I have hidden? Okay. And he says, I want to bring that back to your memory. Why? Because I want you to remember that so you will ha- be able to answer those who are falsely accusing. The who, those who are criticizing me. And they do it based on the pride of appearance. And it's not in their hearts. Okay, I've seen this. It's alive and thriving in the church today. There are people that are in the church today who are, they are more concerned about appearance than heart. Okay. And I mean, and they do it in odd ways. You know, well, we're a casual church. And so the guy, the pastor or whatever will get up and he'll have some kind of style of clothes on because he just wants to show you how comfortable he is in his grace. Okay. And, and, and I, I watched it. I remember when they first started with the, the Hawaiian shirts and the flip flops. You know, I'm I'm just comfortable teaching. Whatever. You know, I I don't. You're worried about it's it's like uh, you'll hear him today. Do you have contemporary or traditional worship? No, we have biblical worship. Okay, worship's not based on music. Listen, I love music. I cherish music. 
It ain't worship. <laughs> okay? Music, you may start singing out of a powerful worship time, but it's because the Word of God was preached and the Spirit run over me with it. Okay? I, and that's biblical. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. This is your act of what? Worship. He had this devotion to his Lord. He had a devotion to the church. You know what? I would give anything in this day. I've heard people tell me, you know, we should pray for revival or we should pray for this. Or we should. You know what I would pray for? You know, one of my consistent prayers have been for 20 plus years. That people fall in love with the church. Because when that happens, then the revival and everything else is going to happen. But people in this country do not cherish the church. And, and, and you know, and I can go through all those reasons, but that's not my message today. They don't do it. I watched these people in Russia when I was there. I never seen anything like it. But the thing is, they didn't have anything else but the church. We have everything but the church. Okay, uh, one of the Russian pastors told me one time, he says, that we pray for you because we believe you're under greater spiritual assault than we ever were even under communism. I'm like, well, that's kind of goofy. Uh, and I mean, ain't nobody going to throw me in prison for preaching the gospel. He says, no, you don't understand. In the church in America, you add Christ to your life. He says, in Russia, Christ is life. And I said, yeah, keep praying for us, brother. <laughs> can, can you make it even a little harder, maybe? All right, third thing, defense of his integrity is because it was based for the truth. Verse 13, this is a fascinating passage. Now then, if you already understand this passage, then act like I just explained it to you. Okay, act surprised. Okay, Um, and and you're ahead of me because the reason I've been taking so long to get through it is I could not understand what he's telling me right here. Okay. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. And if we are sound mind, it's for you. Well, all right. <laughs> Verse 14. No. What is this is, there's one thing. I, I have probably spent more time with the Apostle Paul than any individual. Okay. Um, and one of the things that I can emphatically say about the Apostle Paul is that Paul lived for truth. Period. Unequivocal. He preached truth. He taught truth. He defended truth. He fought for truth. And he was passionate about truth. Okay. And that verse 13 here says, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Okay. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. What in the world is he telling me? Um, Okay, it's easy to understand what is going on in the Corinthian church. Okay, you have the pride issue that we we looked at in depth in in 1 Corinthians. But you would find that in the church, you would have uh, the friends of Paul. Okay, Um, Paul had birthed that congregation. He had grew that congregation. And there was a foundational group in that church that had a tremendous love for the Apostle Paul. All right. The critics, the false, um, as always, will want to win the weak. Maybe they weren't there when Paul first came in and they came in later in his ministry. I remember years ago in the church, people would come up to me and say, well, I came, started attending here when you was in Matthew or I came when you was teaching in Hebrews and all this. And they always remember where I was when I was in a, in a given book. There are people that would come in in later times. All right. And don't have a a solid foundation that Paul would have provided at the birth of the Corinthian church. And they would be a little weaker in their faith. And the critics and the false are going to come along. They are led by Satan. They are messengers of Satan. And they will work hard to gather allies. They will work hard to sway people. Still goes on today. Still goes on today. 
And one of the phrases that you would hear used, because it's been used of towards me. Okay? You know Paul gets beside himself. Okay? And, and you know, I can tell by looking at you, you're like, well, I remember my grandma used to say that. But that was your grandma. She's from the hill country of Kentucky. And she said all kind of things. Okay? And, and sometimes you listened and sometimes you're like, oh, okay. But you have this division thing that lays out there. And one of the accusations is Paul is beside himself. Okay? Paul knows that he has to stop this. He has to stop the division. The body of Christ is unified. Okay? It is our pride that causes the schisms. Please understand that. If you don't get anything out of this message, understand if there's division in the church, it's you. They will say this. Paul is beside himself for God. Okay? The phrase in the original language, okay, this will help you a little bit, and then I'll back it up with Scripture. And the original language, it literally means out of one's mind. Okay, it literally has to do with insanity. Okay, um, uh, not of a sound mind. You see it on, on a regular basis in this text. If you go, go over to Second uh, Corinthians eleven one, I wish. Okay, now this this is my favorite part of Paul. This is what they call sarcasm. Um, I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. I like sarcasm. Okay, here's what it says. I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Same word. And a little out of my mindness. But he calls it a foolishness. If you drop down there to verse 16 of chapter 11. Again, I say, let no one think of me Foolish. Same word. Verse 17. What I am saying, I am not saying as the Lord would, but in. As a fool. In foolishness. Same, same word. Same word. Okay. Okay. So he's. A, I mean, you can even take it over chapter 12, verse 6. Speaking of those who are accusing him. I do not want you to boast and I will not be. Foolish. Verse 11, chapter 12. If I become foolish for yourselves, compel me. All right. A fool is beside himself. He's out of his mind. Okay. And that's what they say. That's what the critics want to say. His zeal, his passion. He must be out of his mind. He's out of balance. He's fanatical. He's beside himself. Someone who has lost control. His zeal has overcome his control. And and you'll hear today and they'll talk about, well, he's just too dogmatic. You know, when you run into these people who kind of lost self-control and are too dogmatic, them people, they're just crazy. Today, if you tell somebody you're speaking truth, you know what they're going to say? You're beside yourself. If today you stand on truth, you are dogmatic, and that is unacceptable. I know people who cherish a pastor who says, I am not sure what this says, but I think it says this. I want that person to sit down. Shh. Why? I have a zeal. I have a passion. Oh, yeah, did I tell you? I'm a little dogmatic. You don't believe me? 
How's come 90% of the evangelical community, 90% of the evangelical community believes that evolution is scientifically proven? And so their compromise is God created through evolution. And I look at them in the eye and say, then God's a liar. And they're like, oh, you can't say that. Yeah, I did. You can't have death without sin. And you're telling me dinosaurs died and then sin showed up. And you know what they called me? You're out of your mind. And then I get him and smile at him real big and says, you know, science has proven that evolution is impossible. And that really messes with them. Because <laughs> then now you're zealous, passionate, foolish, dogmatic, and a Bible thumper. <laughs> I remember when I was called my first time, Bible thumper. And at the time I was like, but now I think it's great. Listen, when the world refuses truth and they have to refuse creation. See, there's a little problem with creation. Okay. If it's true, that means there's a God. If there's a God, that causes problems. Let's be realistic. All of a sudden, there's all kinds of new issues that you just threw at me. And I don't think you know truth. Okay. Paul had too much zeal. He is too dogmatic. He must be out of his mind. He's out of balance. You can't have that much passion. You can't have that much zeal. It's a dogmatic thing. What's the matter with you? Really? If you're that dogmatic and preaching and you're raising your voice and you're waving your arms, how are people going to get saved? Now, Paul's dogmatism, I'll have to give him credit for. If I was receiving direct revelation, I'd be probably even more dogmatic. <laughs> I mean, you know, I know a man, I don't know whether in the body or out of the body, went to the third heaven, what he saw there, he can't tell nobody. Now he's back and he's kind of got some zeal. I mean, you know, you got me changed up to the Roman soldiers, that's great. I have a captive audience. <laughs> that man going to have to hear me preach all day and all night. Listen, the world throughout history has always and will always have anger. Please hear my words correctly. Have anger over the passion for the Lord. Okay? They always have. They always will until the Lord stands on the Mount Olives. Okay? They always hate it. Now, I had to kind of do some research on this because it kind of had me befuddled. But as I looked around, I kept thinking, you know what? This is really kind of straightforward if I think about it um, because I, I you can see what the world does and what the world does on a regular basis in this mindset of being beside yourself or being out of your mind Matthew's gospel chapter 11 verses 18 and 19 the wonderful religious experts come to Jesus now remember they're students of the word they're passionate for the things that they know about God and that they understand about God. And they're really ticked off at Jesus. Okay? And, and, and they're wanting to know why he ain't hanging out with them and why he ain't hanging out in the temple. And why does he keep hanging around with these nasty old people? And he's, Jesus makes this statement, verse 18 and 19. For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they said, he has a demon. Okay, And yet, if you think about what Jesus' comparison to John was at the time, what was it? He is the most righteous man born of man and woman. Okay? And you couldn't say, well, he's out partying all the time because he's not. He's eating bugs and honey. That guy's nuts. He's out of his mind. He has zeal. He must have a demon. Why? Because you can't have that much passion for God. Verse 19, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. 
And they said, Behold, a gluttonous man, a drunkard, friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. All right? So in Jesus' case, he's a boozer. There ain't no way you would act that way unless you was out of your mind. So if you're passionate for God, you either got a demon or you're drunk. Now listen, the thing that is amazing to me about this text, these are not religious fools. These are keepers who write commentaries on the word of God. They were in the process of writing a thing called the Mishnah and the Talmud, which are commentaries that would explain what the word of God is to laity. These were not idiots. And yet their conclusions, when they run into somebody passionate about the things of God, is it must be a demon or it must be drunk. Brilliant. That's why Jesus called the religious snakes. That's not very loving. Bunch of vipers. Woo. John the Baptist had demons. The son of man was a drunkard. It's either evil spirits or alcohol controlled. That is what the world does when they have to try to explain the passion for God. Go over to Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. This is the one that just really is amazing to me. The Pharisees heard this. And they said, this man casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. <laughs> Jesus is filled with Satan. There's a brilliant understanding right there. But see, it doesn't even stop there, brothers and sisters. If you go over to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus has come back to his home. And he came home and the crowd gathered again to such an extent they could not even eat a meal. Okay, so he's at home. All right. And there's so many people packed into the house. You can't even eat. All right. When his own people, you know who his own people are? That's his relatives, brothers and sisters. Okay. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him for they were saying he has lost his senses. Interesting. They want to put him away. He's embarrassing. My brother thinks he's God. He must have lost his mind. John's Gospel, chapter 8. John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 48. Jesus would turn no one away who came to him passionately and humbly. And so the Jews came and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Okay. And what they just did there, a Samaritan was the worst thing to a Jew. A Samaritan was a Jew who had married a Gentile. Okay. And to a Jew that, I mean, we hate Gentiles. But to have a Jew marry into a, a Gentile, oh, that, now you're worse than even a Gentile. So you are a Samaritan with a demon, drunk. Why? Because he had passion. Okay? I just, I want you to understand this because when you run into people who have a passion for the things of God, you should feel truly blessed. But you and I have a tendency to sort of, I remember a guy that I, an evangelist that I knew. And I mean, this, this guy was huge. I mean, if he stood just right, you thought it was an eclipse. Um, and he had done some of the chaplaincy for the Denver Broncos. But he was a very, very big man. And anywhere you went with him, 
and I don't care who it was, complete strangers, he was wanting to know what their spiritual beliefs were, and would you like me to tell you if it was wrong? But he's big enough to get away with that. I mean, what are you going to say? Oh, yeah, I'll listen. Okay, but it didn't matter. I mean, I remember going to a restaurant and the lady who seats you, he's up talking to her and all the rest of it. So we're walking back to our table. and He says, do you have any spiritual beliefs? And I was like, here we go. (laughs) Can I have that table? Okay, but that's the way he was. And just smile real big and explain to him the gospel and all this other stuff. And he would never shut up about the things of Jesus. Okay, and at the time in my faith, I was like, oh, you're the guy who gives us a bad name. But then it dawned on me, you spend enough time in truth, then you become the fear of the Lord. You stand in awe and the truth overwhelms you and you become more and more and more passionate, more zealous, and even sometimes a side order of dogmatism. It even happened to the Apostle Paul in Acts 26, verse 24. Paul at his hearing before Festus. While Paul was saying this in his defense, the gospel presentation, Christ has to suffer by this risen, his resurrection from the dead. You know, people are going to look at you. You're telling me you know somebody who's raised from the dead. Really? Resurrection from the dead? You'd be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. While he was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. Because when truth confronts the lost and it has zeal and power and boldness and non-compromising behind it, guess what? The world hates it. And they're going to think you're loony. But you'll be in a big, long line of loony. It was a clear message from the Apostle Paul, and they convinced that all this knowledge he's got drove him nuts. He's out of his mind because he spoke truth. So one of the reasons that he defends himself is because of truth. He had a passion for truth. You know, I, I kind of looked down, I wrote a little note. He's just crazy for Jesus. You think about some of the things that you're passionate about. Okay? Think about it. There's things out there that you're passionate about. I work on Harley Davidson's. Okay? There's people out there that I thought, you know what? If you treat your wife or girlfriend like you treat that motorcycle, they'll never forsake you. I've never seen anything like it. Do you understand that that's a piece of steel? You understand that? And it breaks down, leaks oil, got to have tires, all kind of weird stuff. Because of the fear of the Lord, he says, we are persuading men. Why? Because I have divine truth. Because of that divine truth, I have now have a growing awe of God. If I have that, I have to have a passion for God. I want to honor his word because the word is the level of his name. That is who he is. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. How can you not be passionate about that? The truth of God he was dealing with, his stewardship, had a passion even to the point of his delivery. How do you deliver it? Well, you do it through preaching. Today we have preaching has a bad name. Why? I wish they'd quit preaching at me. It's a negative connotation. I want them to preach more, louder, more often. How do you give the word of God Without passion. I don't understand that. I mean, that defies my logic, my understanding. God is honored when his word is proclaimed. Paul told the Ephesians, pray. I want you to pray for me. What do you want us to pray, Paul? 
that the word would go forth with power. Yes. I want that. I'm in. Sign me up. Told the Thessalonians, guess what? Same thing. Pray that the word go forth with power. You know what I never prayed? Pray that they don't arrest me again. Pray that they don't stone me again. Hey, pray that they don't beat me with rods. Pray with it. No, I want the word to go forward. You know what? And the world's going to hate it. It's going to anger them. They're going to think I'm beside myself. He told a young pastor as, as he was preparing to die, what should he do? Preach the word in season and out of season. You know what that means? All the time. <laughs> it's all the time. I listen to people. Well, what does in season and out of season? All the time. All the time. And you know what he concluded was? You need to show yourself approved. How? Study the word. Rightly divide it. Be diligent about it. Why? So you can preach in season and out of season. Paul says, if I act insane, it is because I'm only dealing with divine truth. It's for God. It's a God thing. I, I don't. I see some guys. I remember a guy tell, speaking on Isaiah. He was had a real southern drawl, and, and he couldn't say Isaiah, so it always came out Isaiah. And it was monotone Isaiah fifty three. And you're sitting there going, "Excuse me, you're talking the prophet Isaiah here." Good Lord, dude, wake up before you talk. I remember going to, a, I, I, I ordered a class up at Denver Sim, and it was on Israel and Israel's influence through all of history based on the Bible. Okay, Kings, Chronicles, Samuel, okay. And it was based on all of that. And I'm sitting in there, probably 200 kids who are working on their master's degree programs and their biggest concern was what's going to be on the quiz what's going to be on the final and what do i need to pass this course and the guy that was teaching was one of the best expositors of old testament narrative that i've ever heard i mean i just wanted to jump up and sing the hallelujah course and these kids are worried about what's going to be on the quiz on friday well, I did that when I was in college. And I was going to be a forest ranger. I was excited about that. How do I pass this class? I don't want to study and I don't want to know nothing. Just tell me how to get a B. Do you see what I mean? How can I sit under divine exposition? Well, that was good. No, you should jump up and go, Wow. I do that in my, I'm glad you guys don't put a camera in my office because there's times when I'm studying, all of a sudden something comes very clear and I'm like, whoa! And they would say, see, he is out of his mind. (laughs) I'm a fool for the things of the Lord, Paul says. That's what he says here. We are besides ourselves. It is for God. But look what he says here. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. The word there, sound mind, is sober-minded. Okay? It means, uh, well, it would be, what's the opposite? Drunk. Drunk-minded. Okay? So, if you're sober-minded, you're in control. Okay? If you're not, then you would be out of control. So what he's saying here is that there is a a moderation. There is a calm, cool collectiveness. And when you see that in me, it is for you. It is for you. It's restrained. It's humble. It's selfless. Um, It has to do with being patient for those you are around. There's a gentleness to it. Okay. This here would be reflective of what I would call those who would shepherd. 
Okay, or leadership. There is time to stand at the pulpit and go out of your mind for the things of God. There is a time when you're sitting in the living room with someone and you are calm, cool, gentle, and reflective. You're not compromising truth either way. Okay, um, it's, it's how I identify between the preaching event and the teaching event. Okay, when I think about the word exhortation, we, we hear people saying, well, we need to exhort people um, uh, or edify people. What, 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 I'm, what we're talking about right there is that I'm walking alongside you and we're going through life together. And I'm explaining to you, if you go down that road right there, this is going to be the outcome of it. And it's really going to leave marks. Okay, so let's go down this way. All right. You don't want to walk with somebody down the street saying, and the Lord's coming and it's going to be great. And I'm telling you, it's going to be out of your mind when you see what's going on. Okay, because then they're going to say, I'm going to walk on that side of the sidewalk. But there are times when that is necessary. There's times, you know what, it's very difficult for me. I spend all week studying. Okay, I am dwelling this thing in, drinking deep of the word of God. So when it comes to Sunday morning, duck, the container is about to bust. Okay, I will pour it all out on Sunday and I wake up Monday spaced out going, what was that? (laughs) Well, I do. (laughs) All right. Do you understand that? How many times have you ever studied your Bible and just be so overwhelmed with what he said? You've got to go tell somebody. You're supposed to all say yes regularly. Okay, good job. That's the difference between the pulpit and the living room. It's the difference between preaching and teaching. It's what the Apostle Paul is given here. Here's the key to it, though. It's always truth. You bring truth to bear. You always bring truth to bear. There's times for patience, for ease. Okay, um, I can't remember who said it, but I remember reading it. That's the difference between hot communications and cool communications. Paul says, if I am pure and sane, understand I'm dealing with the stewardship from God. Other times I'm dealing with you. I'm more calm and more patient. Uh, people... You'll hear me at times um, make very cutting statements about spiritual leaders, pastors or teachers who are in error. Okay, and everybody's like, man, make sure that I don't get crossed up with him. You know what? If you're not a pastor or teacher, you'll never hear that from me. Okay, pastor or teacher must give an account to the souls that are entrusted to him. And if you're in error, it is my responsibility as a man of that same calling to tell you that's going to get you in trouble. Okay, when I'm dealing with a Christian, the average minister in the pew, yeah, we'll sit and talk. And I'll say, well, I don't think that's exactly what he's trying to get across to you right there. There's a big difference. But in spiritual leadership, the integrity is there. And, you know, there's times I said, I don't think you've rightly divided that. Or I'll look a pastor in the eye and says, and can you tell me where that is in Scripture? And they know what I'm saying. Okay, because I'm dealing with the eternal things. I don't need your opinion. I still think Kentucky's going to win the championship. But you know what? That's my opinion. All right, and you know what? It has an awful lot of eternal value, right? But when it comes to truth, we can't compromise. You have to be dogmatic. This is what it says. Why do you think the prophets of the Old Testament says, thus saith the Lord? You know what he's saying? Go ahead, argue. Okay, that drives me nuts when I see guys getting up there saying, well, today I think we're going to dialogue over the scriptures. Sit down. Sit down, because if you haven't shown yourself a worker approved, rightly dividing truth diligently, sit down. That's not that hard to understand. And why would I sit with a room full of people who haven't done that? And would you like to discuss this? 
No, I don't want to hear your opinion. If you studied it to show yourself approved, let's talk about it. There's times that we deal with it with calm patience. There's times that we do it with boldness, power, conviction. The issue is still truth. Paul says he's defended his integrity. Why? For the truth. The integrity of a pastor is based on truth. If he doesn't have that, then he's not a pastor. He's not a leader. Listen, and you know what? As a pastor, I have had people walk away from hearing truth. I've probably had more walk away. And you know what they do? It's my fault. It's my fault. He's too passionate. He's too zealous. He's, he acts like he knows what it says. Well, God, if the pastor doesn't know what it says, we're all in trouble. Good Lord. It was written in a book for us to what? Read it. It's an amazing thing. The issue with the Apostle Paul in this verse 13 is that he has a zeal for God. And he has a zeal for God. And it, his word is at stake. That's why he's worried about the integrity. It is also the passion of Paul. It is for their sake. That they would be humble and patient. And that truth is at stake there too. You've got to bring truth. Whether it's in the calmness of a living room. Discussing something. Or at the, I guess everybody does the coffee bars now. Everybody goes to the coffee shops. It seems to be big. We got one on every corner in Castle Rock. There's some jacked up people walking around this town, buddy. (laughs) Be careful out there. I I ain't going down there. You see how I am? Put some caffeine on it. I'm going to jail. If you're a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, you should have a desire and a passion for truth. And that desire and that passion should be enough that you have received it, you have believed it, and you have applied it. And therefore, once you step into that realm, guess what happens? You want to pass it on. You want to pass it on. We persuade men of our integrity. Why? Because it's for the Lord. We persuade people of our integrity because it is for the church. We persuade people of our integrity for it is for truth. Because our focus is divine communication. And the person who is communicating on behalf of God has to have integrity. Brothers and sisters, I I get books and books and books and comments and messages and everything on spiritual leadership. Okay, and what a good spiritual leader looks like. And it sounds like something you would hire a CEO for. And you just go through it and you're like, oh, geez. And the thing that I do not see is integrity. And the reason that you don't see that is because there's too many in our churches today who do not have a zeal for the Lord. They do not have a zeal for the church and they do not have a zeal for for truth. And that is... A man that lacks integrity. And if they lack integrity, who are they speaking for? Okay. So, when you see me up here pacing around and slinging my arms and all that other weird stuff, breaking out into a sweat. Last week I split a fingernail preaching. I don't even want to think about it. How'd you do that? (laughs) I don't know then you understand that I have a... I'm trying to get beside myself for God. <laughs> okay. I remember teaching down at Hoffman Town. Hoffman Town Church has a great a big bunch of huge screens, uh, video screens. I mean, I, and I'm, I don't... They dwarf that mirrored glass right there. I mean, they're huge. They're huge. I mean, you know, you got one behind you, you got one on that wall, you got one on that wall. 
and all these cameras were pointed at you and all the rest of it. And I walked up to the pulpit, set my Bible down, looked over, there I was, I looked over, there I was, and I was like, oh, I know what it means to be beside myself. <laughs> so anyway, let's pray. Father, thank you for your, your word. Father, for your spirit, for your church. Father, help us. Help us in calmness and humility to walk with our brothers and sisters and all that you would bring into our life. And Father, help us with zeal and passion and dogma. Be for you and you alone, my King. Father, I thank you for my brother Paul who has gone before us. Father, uh, he was passionate and yet tender as a nursing mother for her own child. That would be our goals, be our lives, that each of us would walk worthy of this a tremendous calling. Father, I just thank you for this day, for these precious people. And Lord, may your word find fertile soil. May we each grow in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In Christ's precious name, amen.